Hey everyone, welcome to the LeafCast. I'm here with Alex Blumenstein. Hi everybody. And I am Taylor Scollin, your co-host as always. Uh, this week we have interviews from our April meetup with Antoinette Gomez and Darcy McFadden. We're going to be talking about entrepreneurship and the new legislation that just came down federally around cannabis. But before we get to that, Alex, do you want to talk about our May meetup? I do. We're very excited, and you're hearing it here first. Our May guests will be from Horizons ETF, Mark Noble and Jamie Purvis. Uh, Horizons launched at the beginning of the month the first marijuana ETF. So they have great insights into investing, corporate strategy. What's an ETF? <laughs> what is it again? It's a uh, exchange traded funds, something traded funds. You know, that's why we're having them as guests, so we can all learn these so things. We'll I'm not an investor. We'll in know it. what it is <laughs> exactly. Um, so they'll have great insight into that. They're really interesting guys, and it's really a world first and a real juggernaut on the market. Again, I'm talking about this without really knowing what it is, but we're gonna find out, and it's gonna be awesome. It's May 23rd. Uh, that's why we do the meetups. That's why we do the meetups, so we can learn. I, we don't know anything. Nothing. And each meetup, we learn something new. Yeah. <laughs> so do come out to that. We'll have tickets on the website available, as always, leaftoronto.com. And the early bird tickets are $5. So don't wait to get your ticket because you're just throwing money away. Throwing money away. And hey, uh, if you are listening to this before Saturday and you're around Cannabis. We're having a little get-together on Saturday evening at Quinn's in the Sheridan. Come by. It'll be a good time. For sure. Okay, do you want to roll that first interview? Let's hear from Antoinette. Uh, so we have Antoinette Gomez. Uh, she's the founder of Pleasure Cakes. You might recognize her from Vice. She was probably in all of your Facebook feeds. Yesterday morning, I woke up and went on Facebook and saw Antoinette talking about sex. So that was a good... <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> good morning. <laughs> So, Pleasure Peaks, it's a female-focused sexual cannabis-infused sex products line. That's correct? It's a cannabis sexual healing line as well as a cannabis lubricant line, yes. Excellent. So, why don't you tell us a little bit more about you know, each of your products, what they're all about, and then also talk about, I know you have a little bit of, uh, you do some relationship coaching that involves Mary Jane, uh, as well as... Tantric sex and gone. I have to look at these because I'm so unfamiliar with that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Gonja Yoga. So, why don't you like walk us through sort of what you're all about, what your business is all about, and you know, give us a little sell on the business. Okay, yeah, I can let you guys know what Pleasure Peaks is and what I do. So, I founded this company a little bit over a year ago. It's a all-encompassing company of sex, cannabis, and spirituality. So it's been a long journey while getting here. Um, I, I, I brought these all together because, yes, I am a tantric sex coach, and that's something I picked up over the few years as well. But I noticed that um, cannabis has been used in ancient tantric philosophy as an aphrodisiac. But it also brought, brings in like your inner divine god, sex god in a way, which is really cool. And I really wanted to bring that back. So I created my own cannabis lubricant line. And while I was doing a whole bunch of research with my cannabis lubricant line, I was learning that you can get your vagina high. And that went <laughs> off into a whole different story because I was like, how is this happening? And this was multiple women. This is real testing. I have a, a researcher as well. And we found out that there was, at a certain point, at a certain dosage, 
that a woman would just have to sit down. <laughs> and she would just have to sit down because she felt that her pussy was high. And it was really interesting because she was not psychoactively high at all. She wasn't impaired at all. She just felt that she was high down there. So after that, I felt that this is something that nobody knows. And I really wanted to get deeper in with it. And what I'm doing is I created a whole sexual healing line in the sense where women are becoming more connected with their genitals more so than ever. Um, I like to call myself the Gwyneth Paltrow of cannabis. <laughs> we own uh, a few of the same products in our stores. So one of them is a, a yoni egg. Have you guys heard of yoni eggs? Yoni eggs are these crystal eggs that you've seen. They're, they're picking up great trends right now. And it's amazing because we're going through a feminine awakening as well as Mary Jane is coming up as well, right? So with this, we, these yoni eggs, you literally insert them up your womb where you get to learn about your like sacred womb space. And what's beautiful is that these crystals also have different healing abilities. And you know that we've seen all of these people use crystals for many things, but we all know that rose quartz is definitely a very, very strong connection with your heart chakra. So it's very, very all about self-love. But then we're also learning that in traditional Chinese medicine, they use traditional yoni eggs that are jade. And jade would really clear and cleanse your kidneys, which is super cool because I learned that's where your erotic energy came from. Got it. So we're using that, that yoni egg as a jade, a rose quartz, or we also have black obsidian for people that have past sexual trauma. Excellent. And we can also use these with our lubricant line. And the lubricant line isn't really supposed to be enhancing sexual pleasure, but it's supposed to be a meditative practice that you're doing with your genitals. But it does both, which is amazing. So we have the lubricant line, the yoni eggs, and then we have yoni steaming. So yoni steaming is something so cool that I learned a few years ago. And once I heard it, I was like, oh my god, I have to try this. And th there was basically this woman in India that were gathering in, um, I'm going to have the women in India that would be gathering um, monthly around their, their menstrual cycles. And what they would do is they would use these herbs and they would, they would boil them to, to create a steam. And they would literally sit over a pot. And they would use these herbs that had great medicinal benefits that would get rid of their menstrual cramps. And I was like, no way. Are you kidding me? This might all never worked for me. And I was so, it was really, really, I guess pissed off in a sense, but I found out that cannabis was amazing for menstrual cramps later on in life. It was so bad at one point that I would literally have, I would stop walking, right? Because I would just be walking, have an amazing day, and all I felt, a sudden I felt like I was shot, and I had to like just, like, it was terrible. I was just in so much pain. So now I know that they were steaming their vulva with these herbs, so I was like, could cannabis do this? So I, was, I worked with a herbologist on creating a perfect blend, and then we also picked strains um, specifically for this as well. Amazing. Um, so if somebody wanted to find out more about your relationship coaching, your tantric sex, and buying your products, where would they get it? Pleasurepeaks.com. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. So if you want more information on the details of the products, grab Antoinette after. But now we want to talk about the business side of things, right? A lot of people in this room are interested in getting involved in the cannabis industry as entrepreneurs. So, I mean, you've done it. You've built a business. Why don't you start talking to us about, you know, you said from the, the personal side of why you got into it, but 
when you decided to tackle this business? Why, why did you jump into it? And can you sort of name a few challenges that have come along the way? Okay. <laughs> uh, I started, that was a whole bunch of questions. I started this business, what really got me into this business was, just to say it's super straight, was I was doing emergency house calls for a dispensary five years ago. And that is unheard of today. Sure. Um, so basically what we would do is I used to go to school for holistic nutrition at Canadian School of Natural Nutrition. And once I, once I started working at a dispensary, I was like, what's a dispensary? And uh, I found out that I, had, I got the opportunity to work with a ton of people that were in chronic pain. So what happened was I wasn't actually working in-house at the dispensary. They would really call me when they had a person that fell through because we had, at the time, the medical referral of Ontario that would be referring doctors to dispensaries sure. at one point. And basically what happened was I would be driving to Oshawa, Orangeville, or wherever they were, and literally on, on, the, on the phone with a doctor giving them like a visual representation of what the patients are giving me. Um, there, the doctor is already writing the prescription and faxing it over to us, and I'm bringing them the medicine all in one spot. And when I had the opportunity to do that, my first patient ended up being an HIV um, guy that was very, very young, in his early 20s, and he got diagnosed with HIV through a blood transfusion in a hospital. And the way that the health system kind of treated him was like a parasite in the system where they didn't really want to deal with it when it could easily be dealt with, which is someone that was sure. a little bit more compassionate, um, somebody that had access to cannabis or the right doctor. And the thing is that I have been so fortunate to have access to the right people that I need. So right now, I create a platform to just really share that with more people. That's, that's wonderful. Uh, um, I mean, I think it's a challenge that you take on every day when you're dealing with patients who have, who have disabilities and have these health challenges. As an entrepreneur, though, from you personally, what challenges does your business face um, that you sort of had to overcome and work around? So the, the challenges the most were um, finding the right lawyer. Don't even <laughs> jump into entrepreneurship without one, period, because okay. everybody's going to um, either steal your idea or already own it. <laughs> so what the most challenging idea I had was trying to find the right partners, but trying to explain to them that the cannabis industry was starting. Um, so it's all about finding your, your, the right team. Having the right team is absolutely so crucial. I feel like me having the right team is what has been able to skyrocket my business in the short amount of time. So I feel like my, the strongest, the most hardest part I found in my industry was not having the right supporting system or the right community, which I then found later on through Woman Grow and Leaf, of right. course. Are there, are there challenges in finding partners to, to start businesses in the cannabis space right now? Do you find that as people, as there, maybe there's less challenges now with legalization coming, but did you find that there were challenges a year ago? Oh yeah, most definitely. I have no, I have no problems finding anyone now because I now have sure. the largest network. But um, before, I started five years ago, Women's Brunch monthly for women in the cannabis industry, and it was literally me and three girls that grew to me and six girls <laughs> over like six months. Um, but then later on, I found out about Woman Grow that was really skyrocketing my career for sure. Great. Uh, what about so if you're speaking to other entrepreneurs in the room? What are some 
tangible tips that you can just sort of list off when you're starting a new business that you wish you had heard uh, when you were starting your business? Hmm. Um, lawyer first, uh, intellectual property second. Um, one thing that I'm, I'm telling more people to do right, right, right now because it's different because when I was in the industry, there was very, very, there's no competition now. It's crazy competition, but it's healthy competition in the sense where you really, really need to be adamant about what you're doing, because if you don't do it, someone else is going to be doing it. But um, one thing that I'm writing right now that I'm loving is getting more research done in the cannabis industry. There is little to no <coughs> research in the cannabis industry. So if you really want your product or your service to really sell in the industry, start working with research. There's tons of um, cannabis research um, businesses that are in Ontario that I can connect you with, but it's as simple as literally grabbing three people starting from. So there are ways around it, it's just having the right people that are qualified, of course. Mm -hmm. Can I, I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but are you willing to talk to us about one mistake you made while you know getting your business off the ground so people can know to avoid it? I mean, I don't want to say you make mistakes. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. Honestly, it's the, really honestly the one thing that I did really bad with my whole Pleasure Peaks is that interview with Vice yesterday. It <laughs> killed me. Oh, no. Yeah. I got great response. It has like 330,000 views. It's amazing. Um, although... The, <laughs> I will not accept any more interviews within like within eight hours, basically. That's that's what it is. So it's uh, an online media platform. They used yeah. to be cool. Uh, <laughs> I, a tip a tip that I'll I'll say is I'm an international speaker. I do tons of speaking. Um, something that I'm doing more more of is if you really want to do this, just always ask your questions first before you go into the interview. Make sure you wanna see what they're trying to get out of you into the interview. I also had an interview with Flair Magazine the other day and speaking to me as a patient. And they're like, yeah, you wanna be uh, a, like a, a licensed producer, of course, right? You're a grower. And I was like, no, of course, I'm a patient. Just me being a patient doesn't mean I'm a grower. So there's tons of people that don't know what the cannabis industry really is right now. So it's really our job to really let them know what it is and walk them through it, of course. But being professional in this industry is absolutely everything. Going against the cannabis stoner, stoner persona has to go away if we really want to be taken seriously in this, in this industry. That's Even though I am a daily smoker, I smoke every single day, I still try to keep my professionalism. Yeah, no, that's important. I mean, you know, everyone can sort of approach it how they like, um, and it's good that you're putting a professional face on it. Uh, so the big, the big news from last week, legalization, uh, how do you sort of see how you're going to fit into that? Is it going to impact you, harm, hurt? I mean, what do you, what do you, how do you see that shaping up? So I'm still waiting to see how it completely shapes up. Sure. <laughs> um, right now, how is it going to impact my business pleasure peaks? Um, definitely a lot. Um, but I'm still, it's, it's still not something I'm really looking towards because I'm also looking at global markets, of course. Pleasure Peaks has always been a global conscious community and has, has had a chapter in Denver, so Great. I'm still working on it. I'm just trying to figure out which way to go. And what I'm learning is that I, at the beginning of my, my um, 
my entrepreneurship. I had like a really pushy investor that believed in absolutely everything I did and just wanted to throw money at me and push me into things. But I noticed that, yes, there is a timeline, although it's not that big of a rush to make these, like those mistakes, sure. you know? Just look at all of your options that you have. Excellent. So uh, before, this is my last question before it's over to the audience, but changing gears a bit, you and I, we've had some discussion in the past and we talked about diversity and diversity in the black market and diversity in the legal market. Can you just sort of give us a little bit of an understanding of what that looks like now and why it's important to have more diversity and what can be done about it, especially, I think, amongst LPs? Hell yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, diversity is so important and I feel like if you're not really incorporating it into your business, you're losing so much value. It just is what it is. Um, we have, I'm always like, I'm always seeing who's hiring who in the cannabis industry. With my level of like, um, of experience, I'm always wondering like, who, who are these new people that I've never seen? Right? <laughs> uh, but I'm, uh, I'm always wondering like, who are they hiring, friends of friends? Is it like, I'm always wondering, why is it always, um, sorry, but just like the same old male and stale type of persona that I'm seeing everywhere. And I wanna see more women um, working with us, of course, because we have tons to offer. I am the chairwoman of Women Grow. I have the largest network of professionals working in the cannabis industry, and they are trailblazers and they're killing it. And they deserve to um, really be in a lot of the positions that are offered right now, but I would love to see more women um, on LPs, of course. Um, but there's just so much value. There's so much value when you're adding someone that has a different perspective from you. Um, that has a different style from you, that has something new to offer, because you're being innovative that way. If you're just being the same crowd, doing the same thing for how many years, you're not really getting anywhere. I, like, I understand that you might be a great team, although you're missing out on everything that it could be. We need to be so innovative right now. There's so many things that we can do. I, I'm gonna throw another question on this, and I mean, this could be its, its own conversation, but. How do you think that the legislation that's come out impacts diversity in the legal industry? Terrible. It's awful. Unfortunately, um, I worked with dispensaries years ago, and I would love to see them incorporated, incorporated into the new um, industry, although I think it's going to be very, very hard for them. Unfortunately, it's not my call. It's just the way it is. Um, uh, and the, another thing was the harsh penalties, of course. I was just, it was just speaking about this. These harsh penalties are there because they really want to make sure that you're not smoking cannabis while driving, of course. Although when it's like 14 years, when it's like impaired driving while giving, giving cannabis to a minor. But these offenses are too strong that I feel that can be too easily put on someone as a person of color. And I, that's why I feel that sure. gap is very uncomfortable. And I think probably the uh, being able to pull somebody over without suspicion is also probably an issue in there. Yeah. Right. And that's that's the thing. Like your can't your car can smell like weed for a whole week, and you, you didn't even have to smoke in there for like until like last month. It's insane. So I, I'm really excited to see more technology behind sure. that and testing. Okay, that was our interview from the April meetup with Antoinette Gomez. A lot of interesting insights there into the world of entrepreneurship in the cannabis space. Also uh, a lot about sex, and you couldn't see my face there, but when I was asking those uh, questions, we could tell there was a lot were, of blushing. There was a lot of blushing. We could tell that you were uncomfortable. <laughs>
Uh, but someone had to do it. Yeah, so. I drew the short stick. Um, our next interview uh, is with Darcy McFadden. She is a senior government relations consultant at National Public Relations, Public Affairs, um, and a liberal insider. And she's going to be talking about the legislation that was just uh, introduced by the liberal government federally in Canada. Uh, giving us an overview of what that legislation looks like and what it means for people in the industry. I think this is a great introduction to uh, to the law and a uh, very valuable conversation. Let's hear it. Um, thanks so much for, for, for letting me speak today, gentlemen. Um, it's been a long time since... Uh, you know, since we've had such an exciting kind of moment in public policy in Canada uh, to celebrate. And I, and I just want to take a moment here to acknowledge there's a lot of people in this room who have been working for a long time um, in, a, in a kind of, a, yes, a taboo and, and probably less profitable industry. So I just want to kind of uh, let, let us all have a moment to, to uh, you know, thank each other for normalizing this because our government never would have been able to do, make these steps if it wasn't for people like us having conversations with our families, with our work, in our workplace, and, and taking leadership in this way. So congratulations to all. So, <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm sort of the consummate politician here today. Um, here, I, I've, I've, I've been passionate about politics for a number of years, worked on political campaigns at all three levels of government uh, for uh, mostly liberals, uh, but uh, you know, so, so definitely here on, uh, uh, to represent both the, the Federal Liberal Party of Canada and the Ontario Liberal Party and, and what I think they will be doing as next steps in the industry. Um, but I work at, at a PR firm called National, and um, I don't currently represent um, any, any specific, um, any, anyone in the industry, although some of my colleagues do. So um, none of this is tainted uh, by any lobbyist perception or anything like that. So I'm really, as I said, I'm really fascinated by this watershed moment in Canadian public policy. Um, to, to be alive for the end of kind of the prohibition of a product that so many of us um, use and consume and that so many of our businesses surround is, is really fantastic. Um, and, it's, and it's really tremendous to be a Canadian as well because you know, we're, really, we're the first G7 country to take this, uh, to take this public policy uh, leadership. Uh, we're the second country in the world to Uruguay, uh, which is a, a truly fun fact. And I, <laughs> who knew, Uruguay, uh, probably many of you here. Um, but I think, uh, I think one of the, the, the most interesting parts was just how, how truly Canadian this announcement was. Um, to balance the, legaliz the, the, the legalization of recreational marijuana with um, kind of this, this need to consume less, this message to consume less and to do less by legalizing it, I mean, I couldn't think of anything that was more, uh, more Canadian in that way. Um, and to sit, you know, to watch the four ministers sit in a row, I couldn't, they, they were solemn and sad. And I was like, you just achieved like one of your first pu public policy uh, 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 things. So I think it was a funny moment for all of us to experience. 
Um, but I think it's extremely smart. And I think over, overall, when you look at the way that they rolled out their stakeholder endorsements from the Canadian Nurses Association and the Canadian Medical Association and uh, leaders in, in insurance and banking, it was across the board. Um, even people like Andrew Coyne celebrated the Liberal government, which for those of you who are uh, news pundit, uh, they, you know, that never happens. Um, and so I think this opportunity, and, and you know, and I and I completely understand and align with some of the uh, concerns that Antoinette um, shared. But I also think that in some ways this is the only way it was going to happen to come out with such um, a concern for the public health um, of Canadians really protects us from um, a lot of the wedge divisions that um, politics is used to. And so I, I kind of, I, I give kudos to, to my party and to my, um, our elected leaders for, for, for that um, decision. Now, I'm just gonna kind of roll through quickly here um, some of the, the key highlights of the things that we did see um, and the business opportunities that came from the federal legislation package but also go through what I see as next steps from the province. And most importantly, what I see this room doing, both in terms of your businesses, but also um, your, yourselves and your families as advocates to, to make sure that this legislation at a provincial level goes through in a timely fashion um, that, that supports the greatest number of, of people and, and businesses in, in Ontario. So um, Bill C-45 and 46, um, is, is both the Cannabis Act, but also the proposed, uh, the associated changes to the Criminal Code of Canada uh, in, in regards to impaired um, driving. I think that was some of the, the biggest surprise that came out of here. And, and when you speak to, to those in the legal community, um, I think that they were extremely impressed by, by that, uh, the, that decision about the Criminal Code um, because it's, it's a big task in front of them. Um, <coughs> Now, in most jurisdictions globally, where we've seen um, movement in, in this over the last few years, for example, Colorado, the focus has been on the kind of commercial regulatory framework. Um, in Canada, we see a, a complete opposite, a focus on the a public health framework. Um, so with that, um, we know that there's sort of five main outcomes that the, that the, that the government announced. And this is beyond the you know, age of 18 and you know, 30 grams of, of marijuana and stuff. But so first, um, and allow me to list because there's no other way to do it. Um, so mail orders are going to be allowed and I think are going to increase significantly as a result. Um, this is, uh, you know, obviously there's an established system with, with licensed producers and I think that that is going to continue for the recreational side, particular, particularly as the infrastructure to support dispensing kind of um, uh, happens. Um, and this is definitely going to benefit licensed producers. Um, there's higher profit to sell directly to consumers than there is to have a middleman. Um, advertising. I know we spoke about that was it last, last month. Um, this was quite a sh surprise um, that, that uh, they're allowing brand, brand preference and um, and kind of informational uh, information on, on, uh, on cannabis moving forward. And this is significant because it's a lot less restrictive than tobacco. The rules right now um, 
now, now I can tell you, if I, I looked at the lobbyist registry, the alcohol companies, beer, spirits, specific breweries, they're out there trying to make sure that marijuana is uh, legislated at the exact same, if not higher threshold as alcohol. And, um, but, but there is going to be a big difference between where tobacco stands to date. It might always, not always stay that way, depending on the research, as the internet said. Um, but also, um, uh, I think it's a testament to that kind of health promotion approach that the government is taking. Um, similarly, in terms of packaging, um, it's going to be uh, more restrictive, uh, but it's, it, you can't invoke any sort of glamour, um, kind of the traditional uh, marijuana culture, if you will, um, no Bob Marley, um, you know, that, that in, in no sort of like recreational usage. Um, it's going to be pretty boring, but also allow for licensed producers to demonstrate differentiation between products, which is really critical to branding and to growth at this point. Um, finally, kind of cannabis oil, uh, you know, in addition to dried um, and, and fresh cannabis, there'll also be cannabis oil that, you know, is expected to be up to 40% of the market. And finally, um, edibles. So no edibles at this point. The legislation is, still speaks to kind of an opportunity to open that up in the future. But I think due to the research uh, point made by Antoinette, there's just not enough on um, the consumptive habits um, in, in kind of populations to really make a, um, a, an educated uh, and responsible decision on this. So what do we need to know now? Well, now the power shifts to the provinces. Uh, I think this is kind of like a check mark for the, the Liberal Party of Canada, and now uh, they need to get some people on side. And I'm encouraged by the fact that I think kind of Quebec and Ontario in particular have already made some pretty significant strides to this. Um, I think they're actually going to go in together and have quite an aligned um, legislative framework that, they're, uh, that they'll pursue. But it's really going to be patchwork, which is unfortunate. And so that's where us as an industry and through our industry associations really need to come up with a unified voice. Because you know, the more patchwork we have where there's differentiation between Manitoba and Saskatchewan and BC and Alberta and Ontario and Quebec, the more challenges that we face and the more likely, uh, you know, likelihood that we're going to run into both restrictions in terms of our business growth, but also in terms of you know, running into the law. Um, as it relates to dispensaries, I think BC is probably going to move forward with their dispensary uh, network for point of sale. Um, obviously, transitioning to the legal marijuana will be uh, a, a transition at best, um, uh, and it's going to be challenging to monitor the stores. And uh, but, you know, I just want you to know there is a huge fight particularly from the pharmacies to, to get a portion of this. Um, I think there's a huge fight from small business as well. Um, but I don't really see, when I look at the lobbyist registry, both federally and on, in Ontario, there's no one really speaking for the voice of dispensaries. Um, and that's probably a testament to, to the, the way that they operate today. Um, but if that is a consideration, um, I encourage those who, who may work in the, in the sector to, to get organized and to, um, to speak uh, to government. I actually am a registered lobbyist for advocacy for what you just said. Oh, fantastic. So I'm not sure why you said In it. Ontario. Yes, 
But the as an industry association, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Well, I just encourage you to continue that because the the strange thing is, is when you look at those lobbyist registries, and I did it, I did a, uh, an analysis of them. I mean, this this only just the tip of who is really going to be a voice here. Um, I'm thinking, you know, insurers. Um, you see organizations like CAP, the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, going going in to spe speak about workplace legislation. Um, I mean, that is like absolutely, or, uh, or sorry, workplace health and safety. That is, you know, significant. And lots of organizations are going to have to think about that. Um, and, and so, you know, it's just another, um, it's another step and, um, uh, and one that, you know, we need to, we need to make sure that the, 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 the community voice is also heard on top of kind of the more corporate organized you know, old white men lobbyist voice. Um, um, and then finally, the, the, the kind of price. So just the licensing fee and the, excess, excess, uh, the taxation system is still to be finalized. And, um, you know, the, there, there could be, in theory, limits on price. Uh, but that also um, could be, you know, I think in general, the expectation is that there is not going to be a cap on on price because it would it would hurt some of the licensed producers um, because they you know produce um, uh, some more some more uh, some different types of, of product um, and finally I think there's a huge incentive for first movers when we look at, 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 at the interprovincial conversation um, I even heard stories in the BC election where they feel that their ground, that they have grown for so many years, that the brand of kind of BC bud has been lost to Ontario, um, to the growth of the sector here, um, and the fact that a lot of the licensed producers are based in Ontario. Um, so I'm, I think it's going to be really interesting over the next kind of 30 days um, as the, the writ has been dropped in BC to see kind of how the parties take sides on this. Um, I don't think that they will. <laughs> I don't think it's politically opportunistic. But um, I also think that when we, when we look across the country, um, there's an upcoming federal leadership debate, uh, sorry, federal leadership um, election, as, as lots of you know, and there's definitely a divide there. Um, more free trade uh, uh, or kind of uh, open market uh, candidates like Bernier um, have obviously come out in support of the industry, which is fantastic if any of you um, you know, make sure make sure you vote if you are involved um, in that. Not necessarily for Bernier, but for any candidate. Um, just to say, um, but then also I, I think that will really determine um, where the prov Ontario Provincial Party will stand, um, because I think uh, the way the federal government has framed it, it's not. There's no politically political There's not a huge political opportunity to drive a wedge between what you know, um, Minister Blair, or Parliamentary Secretary Blair said um, <laughs> in front of uh, the media to, um, you know, about health promotion and about protecting our kids, the, the wedge issue is, very, is much smaller than I think it could have been. And that's just a testament to the politics of it all and, um, and how this all works. So just finally, very quickly, I think the next steps in Ontario, I think we're going to see a task force where they're going to do some more consultation in Ontario. It tends to be the trend here. 
um, where they you know, come out, consult over the summer, and then they'll kind of introduce some legislation in the fall. There is a, a provincial election in the spring um, with you know, the polling numbers where they are at. I would, I would think that the, the Liberals are interested in, in making some movement on this, um, but you never know. Um, I think a, a, a group that we haven't really talked about in Ontario too much is, is the role of the Ontario Medical Association. Um, they are in big uh, fight right now with the, the, the province. It's been ongoing for many years. I know many physicians who are not supportive of, of the decision um, of, of Bill uh, C-45. Um, I know a lot who are. So all it is to say is um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in watching the way that they respond as an industry. Um, I hope they don't air their grievances, um, but you never know. Um, and, then, and then finally, I just, I think there's a role for all of us. Um, and, I, and I bring it back to that. There's a role for all of us um, in telling our stories as business people, as entrepreneurs, and as individuals um, in, in the cannabis sector. We're, either, uh, we're either involved in it, invested in it, or we're allies. So I just encourage you, both with our government officials as well as you know, with friends and family, to continue to spread that message because you know, this, everything is in flux right now and we have a very short time to organize, to get behind, um, uh, you know, to get behind the right candidates and the right platforms, and to make, uh, you know, to, to share things like research, which, you know, the only thing the government really will have that's different is public opinion polling, and who knows how informed that's going to be. So just to continue to have those conversations, to make waves, to send letters, to have meetings, um, and to really spread your voice. All right, let's uh, give a round of applause. All right, that was our talk from Darcy McFadden at the April meetup. Another great talk from a uh, fantastic speaker. Alex, do you want to talk about the May meetup once again? Absolutely. So our May meetup is with... Uh, Mark Noble and Jamie Purvis of Horizons ETF, which is an exchange-traded fund, which I now know. You're already learning. I'm learning already so much. Uh, they launched the first marijuana ETF, which is a huge deal. Uh, it's been a total juggernaut in the market. They have great insight to the market as a whole, investing in cannabis, a lot of great advice. We're also super stoked that this Saturday, if you're at O'Cannabis, we're hosting a little party at Quinn's in the Sheridan starting at 8 o'clock, so please come by. Information about all of this is at leaftoronto.com, and I think our guests are going to be amazing, but don't forget, coming out to the Leaf Meetup, it's just also about meeting new people who are in the room. Lots of people in the cannabis space looking in the cannabis space. Great knowledge, great way to meet people. Just come out for that, and there's pizza and beer. It's great. Great networking if you're into that. I saw someone leaving the last meetup and he had like 20 business cards in his hand. I didn't know what he was going to do with that. but Yeah, well, maybe he'll make a business card for it. All right. <laughs> That's it. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> See you yeah. next time on the LeafCast. Cast.